If you've been with us, you know that we are doing a series, continuing series on the book of Romans. In the summertime, we typically take one book and we run through it. And you cannot unpack all the depth of Romans in one summer. Um, I'll be honest with you, we probably could have taken chapter 8 alone and just taken most of the summer just on chapter 8. But I'm going to overview really quickly uh, chapter 9 this morning and then really highlight a passage in, in Romans 10 that I believe... Uh, is really important. Uh, in Romans uh, chapters 9 through 11, just, just quick oversight, and, and, and let, me, let me just preface this. They say that when you're, when you're basically doing, that every sermon should be like a swimming pool. There should be a deep end, and there should be an e- uh, and, and, and easy to get into. Amen? Because some people, maybe you've been walking with the Lord, you've been Bereans, you've been studying, you've been unpacking stuff, and so sometimes the the, the easy way to get in is like it's, it's kind of fundamental to you. But for, for new people, for them, a lot of times it can be like, whoa, that went way over my head. And I'm going to do my best to try to take this. And we're going to start with the deep end really quick, throw all the deep enders in, and then we'll get into something that's a little bit easier to communicate. Amen? Can you, can you follow me with that? Okay. So Romans chapters 9 through 11 are really, in a nutshell, are Paul's written response to questions that the Jewish believers were asking in regards to the promises of God made to Abraham, especially in the light that most all of Israel had rejected the gospel. And, 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 and if that, the truth is, it's also where really intelligent and educated and articulate people can differ in their theology over some sort of predestination election theology. And so um, some of that theology believes that one camp believes that teaches that all people are foreordained to either heaven or hell before they were born. Another camp believes in election and predestination differently. Uh, quickly and succinctly, there are two they're, two, uh, they're typically broken into two camps, Calvinism or Arminianism, which are two systems of theology, which is the study of God, that try to explain the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of mankind. And in, so you'll hear terms like unlimited atonement versus limited atonement. You'll hear total depravity versus partial depravity. You'll hear election conditional versus unconditional election. Irresistible grace versus resistible grace. Unconditional salvation versus conditional salvation. Five-point Calvinism versus five-point Arminianism. And then there's a mixture. And both views are trying to explain something divine that humans have a hard time understanding or difficulty. One, that God is sovereign and he has ultimate authority and can do what he wants. And the other is we know that mankind are called to respond and make a decision to place their faith in Jesus. That's a nutshell. All right, let's have the worship team and the prayer team and we'll all go home, right? Okay, so let me, let me, let me unpack some things. Life is defined and directed by choices. I think a lot of times we don't understand decisions and choices. God's choices and our choices. And we see that the Old Testament, that God chose Israel. We see in Deuteronomy 7-6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people 
for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So it should be over. Like God chose, it's done. Sovereignty of God. And yet we see in Joshua 24, 15, the same group of people, and Joshua is speaking to them after they've been basically um, you know, taken out of captivity and going into the promised land. He says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose. Somebody say choose. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the sovereignty of God meets the choice of God's people. Paul writes that God chose and elected Israel, but the response was to reject him. The rejection, Paul writes, is only partial and it's temporary. And just the fact that uh, that, that not only is Paul grieved that Israel has rejected the gospel, but also prays for them at the start of chapter 10, indicates to me that he believed that it wasn't set in stone and prayer changes things. How many of you would agree this morning prayer can change things? Prayer can change things. Communication with God can change things. So let's unpack some things going forward. The first one, big idea, is, is God chose you. You have to grasp that and own that and realize that even if you're here and you're, you know, you feel like, well, I don't really have a relationship with God. I'm just, I'm here kicking the tires. My neighbor asked me to come in. I felt like I should come in. Listen, God chose you and he chose you first. God chose you first. It says in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, and even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption i love that word adoption a lot of times growing up i would have a friend or something and uh, that they would you know maybe a kid you went to school with and you'd find out that they were adopted and in some ways they would almost like kind of you know maybe be a little apologetic about it but man when i think about adoption i'm thinking that's actually somebody made a choice i want you I want you. I mean, I'm, I'm reaching for you. I want you. You're basically coming into my family. So it says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Listen, you were on the team before there was a team. Isn't that amazing? God, God actually knew you and he said, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. You're on the team. You're, 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 you're predestined to, to, to me to be sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Then we see in a faith, I know there's a lot of scripture this morning. That's just kind of how I roll though. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we see, once again, God predestined. He's choosing. He's got things in mind for you and for me. And He did all this before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye. He's got it, he's got it in His mind. He foreknows. In John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. It's kind of interesting where you talk to people and say, Yeah, well, I found, I found the Lord. Jesus was never lost. He found you. I was found of the Lord. And in a way, you were never lost to Him because He always knew about you. Isn't that crazy? 
So basically, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So that's the first point. The second point, there is a war for your will. There, for your choices and decisions, there is a war that goes on constantly, consistently, without interruption. It's relentless. Every time you turn around, there are people trying to determine and influence the choices you make. Buy this brand. Vote this way. Think this way. Do things my way. Do things this way. You walk through the checkout line every once in a while. I'll go into like Burlington Coat or Ross with my wife because she will, come to, she will come with me every once in a while to do stuff that I like to do like hunt or fish. So I will go with her every once in a while to do the kind of hunting she likes and that's usually for clothes. But it's, am, but it's amazing to me because you, you get all your stuff and maybe you've kind of figured, it happens even at the grocery store, you figure out what you want. You got your cart, I'm pushing the cart, and then you go through this thing at, at Burlington Coder Ross where it takes you like through this, this maze, right? And you go through this maze and there's all of this strategically placed product that's screaming at you. Buy me, choose me, you need me. You know what I'm saying? You don't have anything and then you go, oh, maybe I do need that thing, and you make a decision. Talked to one young lady, she said, yeah, when, when my parents go there, when we go there, basically we call that the gauntlet. You know, you're walking through the gauntlet because there's always somebody screaming at you. There's always advertising. There's always things that say, I want you to make a decision. You are being pressed to make decisions. Now, there are a lot of things that are determined by our choices, but there are a lot of things that we don't get to choose. Scholars, there's a theological term called limited free will. There's things that we don't get to, I get to choose. No, there's things I did not get to choose whether I was tall or short. I'm glad God chose me to be tall, right? I, you know, you don't get to choose whether you're born good looking or maybe not quite so good looking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God chose a lot of things. You know, there, there's, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to choose my parents or my siblings. I didn't get to choose, um, I, I don't always got to choose what, what, what I ate growing up. I mean, when I'm growing up, you ate what mom put on the table or you went hungry. Right? I mean, I, I, I seriously, I don't get it. Sometimes I see parents and they're like, well, he doesn't want to eat that. I'm like, man, I never had a choice. You know, I, I mean, I, I ate that. I mean, my mom and dad, my mom would basically, I don't know what happened to her, but basically like, like once uh, every week, it seemed like every Friday we'd eat liver and onions. I don't think I've had liver once since I got married and moved out of, you know, moved out. I don't think I have. And I know that, oh my gosh, this is the best. Like, that was the best as long as you piled about two inches of mustard on it. I, I didn't get to choose my haircut. My mom was like the buzz master. I mean, she had, she had a, a pair of clippers and basically every time right before school, it'd be zip, zip, zip. And finally, you know, it's just like, I went to, I remember going to her, I'm like, Mom, you know the style? All the kids are like, all the guys are wearing their hair a little longer. Can I, can I wear my hair a little? Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a longer haircut. And so I remember distinctly to this day, probably need counseling, but I'm <laughs> sitting 
in the, in the chair, you know, and the, she drapes the towel over you, and she gets the buzzers fired up. And those things were loud. I mean, they're like, you know, like a chainsaw, right? <laughs> and, and basically, I remember, and she's trying really careful to, and then I, I heard her go, oops. And then zip, zip, zip. That's the last time my mom cut my hair. Because you know what I did? I got a job. And I decided I'm going to get a job, I'm going to use my allowance, and I'm going to basically go pay for my haircuts. And I had great hair all the way through school. Long hair too, I'm telling you. Somebody, somebody saw one of my old, my old high school pictures and, and they wrote and they said, man, hey, Ted Nugent is asking for his hair back. Would you give it to him? <laughs> there are things about me I would change. There are things about you you would probably change. I didn't get to choose whether I was a man or a woman. God chose my gender. I didn't get to determine something else. And I think it's awesome that God chose a woman for a man. I'm I'm grateful that God chose Robbie for me. She was not my ideal. Can I just say that? I was wanting... I'm I'm going to be honest with you. She was not. I, I was like... Five foot eight, five nine, long, you know, brown hair, brown eyes, plays basketball, hunts, fishes, shoots stuff. Until I saw five foot one and a quarter, red hair, and then I suddenly my priorities changed. But think, I want you to think about this. I chose Robbie. Within five minutes of meeting with her, I, I, and I'm being totally transparent and honest with you, within five minutes of meeting her, I knew that I would spend the rest of my life with her if she would have me. I chose her. But covenant didn't happen until she chose me back. See, do you see the correlation? I chose her in my mind. Man, if she'll have me, I will spend the rest of my life with her. In fact, I remember one time we were... We'd been uh, dating for about three, three months, and I knew in my heart, man, I, I love this girl. And, uh, and I was pretty sure she loved me too. I mean, you kind of feel, you know, you kind of feel it, you know. Uh, but she, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, really kind of scared me because he said, man, she's going to love you and leave you. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's what she does, man. I mean, she's got a trail of them, broken hearts, you know. Notching the belt, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, in my mind, my self-preservation kicked in. And I'm like, because I really believed if I tell her how I feel about her, it's over. And so I remember sitting in front of her dad's house, and her house, her dad could be on the porch, and we could talk. And she basically says, I got something to tell you. And I knew she was going to tell me she loved me. And in my mind, I'm like, uh-oh, here it is. I got to be really, really careful what I say right now. She goes, I love you. And I told her, and I lied like a dog. I said, I don't love you, but I really like you a lot. Because I was like, you know. And then I didn't call her for three days. Now, I don't remember doing that, but she did. I don't care. I don't know what happened, but it worked. I'm saying, we just, we just celebrated 43 years of marriage. I'm not suggesting you go about it like that. This is not good practical doctrine. Okay. But I'm telling you that covenant didn't happen. The covenant of marriage didn't happen even though I chose her until she responded and chose me. 
God chose you. And there's a response that's required. So when we, when we look at this, I want, you to, I want you to think about choices and decisions that you make in life have ramifications. The word in the Old Testament decision is many times, most of the time, translated as judgment. Many times judgment and decision in Scripture, you, you, they're interchangeable. And the thought of how you use it is different at least to me in some aspects. It caused me to pray more about the means to make decisions. Listen, once again, there is so much pressure on you to make decisions every day. It's relentless. Think about the small things. What do I wear today? Do I get up today? When do I get up today? What do I eat today? What do I say today? What am I going to do today? Where am I going to go to school today? Where am I going to work today? Am I going to go to work and am I going to work hard? Am I going to, you know, every time we turn around, there's a pressure to make decisions. It's relentless. But we have a resource. In Joel 3.14, think about this. It says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. How many of you have got some important decisions to make maybe even today? I mean, I'm not talking about, do I have lunch after church? You've already determined, yes, you are going to do that. I mean, maybe there's somebody here super spiritual, like, no, I'm going to fast right after church. Praise God, you fast, I'm going to eat. But we've got tons of decisions to make. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And then our, our decisions affect others. My decisions, good or bad, affect my family. My decisions, good or bad, affect the, the church that I've been called to, to lead. My, your, 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 your decisions affect your workplace. Your decisions affect your neighborhood. Your decisions affect your community. It all is interrelated. And, and, and to me, that's like sometimes an incredible amount of pressure. Proverbs 16.10 says, A divine decision divine is in the lips of a king his mouth should not err in judgment i mean there's a weight on it we face decisions to be in righteousness or we face decisions to be in sin isaiah 10 1 woe to those who enact evil statues and to those who constantly record unjust decisions you know there's times when you'll hear somebody say well i just you know i, I fell into sin no you didn't fall into sin you actually made a decision Maybe it was quick, maybe it was impetuous, maybe it was whatever. And, and, and God is grace for that. But think about this, is that you make, you and I make decisions every day. I've been around people who just seem to make poor decisions every time they turn around. I've also been around people who seem to make correct decisions most of the time. It feels like there's a, there's a pathway and there's a like, man, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I, I'll do this. Like, I see people that are great stewards of their finances. And there's times I'll call them up and say, hey, listen, what, how, you know, how do you approach stuff like that? And what would you do if you were in my, in, in my shoes with this situation? I find people that are constantly making good decisions and I find when I hang with them that it influences how I look and make decisions but I've also found like back in the day how many of you realize when you're hanging with people that don't make good decisions you know what if you're hanging with people that don't make good decisions there's a really simple thing stop hanging with people that don't make good decisions 
Find somebody that's making healthy decisions, healthy choices. Because it will, it will impact your life. So when I think about this, I'm like, gosh, it's like, bro, you got a lot of decisions that you make every day and people are relying on you. Young man, you've got a lot of decisions that you're making every day and they're affecting you and they're affecting your siblings, they're affecting your family. I'm like, okay, what's the process? How can I make better decisions? How can I make healthy decisions? How can I make godly decisions? We see in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So I want to unpack trust for just a moment or two this morning. Trust. The, the word there, the Hebrew word is bitach. And it's B-E-T-A-C-H. Sounds kind of like a Klingon word out of Star Wars or something. But it means to attach. It means to attach. Trust. Attach. Speaks of being secure, being self-confident and almost careless because you're so attached. Actually, Ed, as I was praying about this in, during worship, I, I know we've got some law enforcement people in our church, and I was like, I wonder if somebody here has got a set of handcuffs. I mean, that would be a great illustration. I just wasn't sure if I handcuffed myself to Robbie if she could hang with me while I'm preaching. But there's the implication. You're so connected you're so attached. It's not just knowing about something, it's actually being attached. And there seems to always be the option to trust in ourselves, which we do easily. But Proverbs 28, 6, 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So we can be attached to our own will, our own selfish desires. And that can be a roadbed of bad decision making. See, I believe that God can teach you how to make good decisions by the things that you suffer making bad ones. I do. He can use the past experience, the education to culminate in the lifestyle of making decisions good ones. It's important to know, however, that the Word never says trust in your own experience, your own education, and certainly yourself. He takes all of those things. I think those are all tools in our tool bag. He takes all of them, but you've got to have that divine resource. And if you don't have it, you're trusting in something other than God. Because the second thing I want to unpack is don't lean on your own understanding. Our own understanding is limited. How many of you have ever been, you know, caught up in like buying a used car? And then you find out later, like, man, this thing looked good from the outside, but on the inside, it was a lemon. I mean, I Googled it, I researched it, I I looked at reviews on it, it looked good. But you know what? We make decisions like that with partial information. I mean, it's good. I think you need to do that. But there's something about praying and saying, God, would you please give me a piece and give me some direction here? That really helps because it's like, it's, it's like this. It's like, I, I, I believe I have a great relationship with my sons. I, I mean, I'm blessed. Uh, my older son, Drew, is a, he's on staff as a worship pastor and an elder over Moses Lake. And obviously, most of you know my younger son, Joel. I believe I have a great relationship with these amazing young men. 
But I know, and, and I know that they're men. I know they're not, you know, they're 15, 12, 13, 14, 15. Jesus, please help them grow up before I kill them. They're not in that age anymore. But you know what blesses me as a dad? And I'm not, I'm not like a, a controller. I mean, they'll tell you that. I, I, I've learned this. Like parents, I'm going to give you a, a free one right here. Okay? If they don't ask for your counsel, don't give it. Because unsolicited counsel is always taken as criticism. So I wait until they ask me for counsel. And I'm like, you, you asking me for my counsel? Yep, I am. Okay, boom, it's on like Donkey Kong. But here's what blesses me as a dad, as a father, is when they come to me, you know, and Joel will call me up and say, hey, Pops, you know, it's like, I remember the first time he called me Pops, I'm like, what, Pops? You know, okay, that's cool, that's good, but he'll call me and he'll say, what would you do here, what do you think? And I know it blesses me because I realize he trusts my judgment, and he's also not trying to lean on his own stuff. He's actually gathering more information, and I'm telling you what, I, I can't... I can't help but see in the Word where God honors that. When we take these things to Him and we say, Lord, I need some help here. I don't know where to go to school. I'm not sure which job opportunity to take. The door's been closed here. Lord, is there another door? And you're, 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 getting, you're building yourself a lifetime of basically setting up and being wise and making good decisions and making good choices because now you're attached See, the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and will be given to him. One of the most difficult things that we have is going, I don't have the wisdom that I need in this situation, because it's the pride of life. It's the man thing. It's the independent thing that say, you know, you're not the boss of me, Right? I mean, we do. We have this independent thing. Well, I'm independent. Listen, I'm not, I'm independent, but I'm, I want to be independence upon him. I don't want to be an island to my own. And it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's times when you have to be honest with yourself and I don't have the wisdom. I keep messing this thing up time and time again. I'm not on a good track. I'm not making great decisions for my life. And you have to realize, okay, that's where I'm at. God, I need you. And then God says, hey, I've been waiting for you to give me a call. Because man, I got some stuff to download to you that's actually not from an earthly source. It's from heaven. How many of you would love it in your business, whether you're a realtor, whether you're running an auto shop, whether you're basically working at the mill, whether you're, whatever you're doing, would love to have this consistent download of heavenly wisdom into your situation. Because that's actually what God wants for you. He says, if you lack it, I'll give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you liberally. The, the word says liberally. I mean, that's the only place I really like that word liberal. It's like liberally, liberally, he's going to give it to you without reproach. Did I go there? I went there. I'm sorry. Liberally, he's going to give it to you without reproach. I love that. Bring it on, God, because I need it. <laughs> Sometimes I walk through life and like, Lord, I'm just a few fries short of a Happy Meal here. I need help. I need help. I haven't arrived. And then the third thing, you guys hanging with me? Acknowledge Him in all your ways. All your ways. All your ways. Not part of your ways. 
We compartmentalize things. In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And then He will make your path straight. We tend to just like, ah, okay, I'm good here, God, but I probably need help here. Like, no, you need help everywhere. Attach is attached. It's not a partial attachment. Nobody would jump out of an airplane with a partially attached Right? Can you imagine having trust in a parachute that's like partially attached? Yeah, go ahead and jump your skydiving bag. You know, there's a little attachment here. I want it fully attached. I want it wholly attached. One of the craziest acts of courage I ever saw, there was a, a beautiful older lady in our church a number of years ago, and she turned 80 and she went skydiving. It was on her bucket list. I think she went ziplining when she was 85. I'm like, my goodness, can you imagine her jumping out? Yeah, I'm confident. I'm partially attached to the parachute. I don't think she would have made 81. You can't say that he's Lord over my times of crisis and not Lord over my time. You can't say I need wisdom in my money when he's not been Lord over my money. You got to take everything in your life and say, I'm attached. My time's attached. My things are attached. My finances are attached. My relationship is attached. I mean, this is what it talks about. Trust in the Lord. See, can I, if we go to Romans 10, and we're going to, I'm going to unpack a couple of things that I think are super important. Because it's the most important decision that we make. In Romans 10, verse 8 through 13. But what does it say? The Lord is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with, with the mouth one, is saved, one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Remember, Paul in chapters 9 through 11 is, is talking to the Jewish believers and trying to bring the Gentile uh, salvation message into the whole thing. But he says, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So listen, you got, you, you got to realize, I want, you to un, I want you to recognize the relationship between belief and confession that leads to covenant and salvation. God chose you, and now you have a decision to respond. See, the passage talks about believing, which is accepting that which is written, is testified, and seen regarding Jesus is true. But then it also speaks about the relationship between what's in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. Sometimes I heard this uh, friend of mine, pastor, said this years ago. He said, sometimes your mouth is your best friend because it'll actually tell you what's in your heart. I mean, that's convicting. I mean, I'm finding out if what's coming out of my mouth is like critical, if it's angry, if it's frustration, if I'm barking at people, if I'm doing this, then there's something in my heart that God probably wants to deal with. 
Right? So sometimes you, you've got to realize this relationship between your heart and your mouth is important. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, a man speaks. And the word confess, the, the term, the, the, the Greek word is homologio. And it means to speak in full agreement, to align with, and to endorse. So I want to unpack a few things regarding confession and Jesus is Lord. A lot of times it just, Jesus is Lord just rolls off of our Rolls off of our tongue. That's easy. Jesus is Lord, right? But you have to understand in, in, in Roman times, Caesar, the Caesar had been elevated to a godlike status. They actually believed that they were, had become God. So Domitian, under the, under the, the rule of Domitian, the persecution of Christians, he would, he would set up different statues of himself across the country and they were required to come in, and there was a festival about once a year, and everyone was required to declare that Caesar is Lord. So when Paul is actually writing this to this group of people, for them to say Jesus is Lord was actually a matter of life and death because they could not, they could not you know, give honor and worship you know, any other gods beside our God. That's what's so important. Here's the other thing. If you look at the term Jesus as Savior, it occurs maybe, maybe seven times in the New Testament. But Jesus as Lord actually occurs almost 700 times. There's obviously this, 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 this importance and this, this thing that we need to look at as far as Lordship of Jesus. It enacts this covenant, and I'll have a worship team come right now, but in Acts, this covenant, it's just like I said before with, with Robbie, I chose her, but the covenant happened when she chose me back. And then something divine happened. Or if you think about this, the Bible says in Ephesians that a man shall leave his mother and the woman will leave her, will leave her home. And there's something about becoming one flesh, one heart that happens. There's something divine in the covenant of marriage. And, and there's something of God all over. That's why marriage is absolutely under attack. The enemy is trying to diminish and dilute the institution of marriage because it's actually supposed to symbolize the relationship and the covenant relationship of Jesus to His church. So if I can take something that's supposed to be a model of something that God did and I can obliterate it, if I can dilute it, if I can redefine it, then maybe you know, we won't understand the truth of it. But something happened in that I do, you do, till death should us part. There's something spiritual that actually happens as well. And when we, when we look at this, what does confessing and believing and being attached that Jesus is Lord really mean? See, it takes, it enacts that new covenant and takes the old heart and makes it new. For one, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It takes the old creature, the old nature that's buried in baptism and I'm raised to new life and eternal life. It means my steps are directed by God. It means that He's the Lord of my tongue. He's the Lord of my time. He's the Lord of my thoughts. He's working to conform me into His image into his image he's actually working he's actively by divine by the word and things that he's doing he's changing the way that i am he's taking the that old person that's all if any man is in christ 
He's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Man, I'm telling you what, I got real tired of being the old guy, the old man. He gave his life for me. Now my responsibility is to partner, to love, and to obey him. He gave his life for me to reconcile me to my eternal life. And my response then is to give my life, my rights, my desires, and my will to him. And it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's actually knowing him, believing, being attached, being a follower, and surrendering. Can I just tell you, we live in a culture that doesn't like surrender. And when we, when we really present the gospel, it's like, I, I, I actually gave up my rights. The Bible says, know that you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. I'm attached, but I like my free will. You still have a will and choices, but you got to bring them under and make them godly and let the Holy Spirit influence you. See, I broke away from the band. I've broken away from the pack. I've basically been removed. I'm actually, the Bible says, listen, you're sitting here on the front row and the Bible says you're an alien and a stranger because your citizenship is in heaven. Eternity is your destiny. The purpose of God in your life will actually take you from who you were and actually create what you were supposed to be beforehand when God foreknew you and he predestined that you would walk with him. I'm no longer my own. And listen, can I just say that it's not just about believing. I've heard people say, well, I believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Is that the believing that's attached in faith? Because Jesus even said this. He said, demons believe and they shudder. So it's not just about, I know about Jesus. It's actually, am I in covenant relationship with Him as Lord and Savior? Life is filled and that covenant comes with agreement and confession and taking that step. It comes with a major decision and a choice. Choices that not only determine your present, but also your future and others around you. When I made a choice, I made a decision to come into covenant with God. It, it changed the covenant that I had with my wife because I be, began to lead her. I mean, I began to take the, the, that spiritual headship and leadership of my family that God had desired and wanted for me. It changed my kids, my kids. My decision changed the, the future of my children. There's something that we have to understand. I'm going to read this key passage, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Maybe everyone in this church, maybe everyone online, you've already taken that step of, of attachment, covenant, and faith. But I'm going to read this, and I want you to really... I want you to think about the decision. But what does it say in Romans 8 or Romans 10, 8 through 13? But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is your choice this morning? Maybe maybe you're here and you've made that choice before, but you haven't recognized the ramifications of it. The seriousness of it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've really never taken that step to say, I profess and confess today. I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Can I ask you to just bow your hearts and your heads with me for a moment this morning? If you're here this morning and you're saying, I want, I, I kind of know about this Jesus. Maybe I, maybe I was at church as a child or maybe I'm just new to this whole thing, but, but I, I, I really am, I, I want to take that step, confessing, professing, I need salvation. And I want to declare today that Jesus is Lord over my life. If that's you and you've never done that, would you please raise your hand? I just want to agree with you this morning. This is the most important decision that you will make. It will determine your present and your future. It will obliterate your past. It will break condemnation and break shame. It will put you in that place that God has always intended for you to be.